I want to talk to you about the thought life of the believer. Beginning in verse 1, Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Notice that's something we're supposed to do concerning our own bodies. Nowhere does the Bible say, turn your body over to the Lord and let him do it. There are bodies. It's up to us to present them as living sacrifices. That last phrase of verse 1, which is your reasonable service, most of the translations translate that as spiritual worship, which is your reasonable service, really doesn't mean a whole lot to us. It's talking about obeying the Word of God, keeping our flesh under as being the means of spiritual worship. Remember Jesus said in John chapter 4, talking to the woman, with this, uh, uh, the woman at the well of Samaria, uh, she said, she asked a question after Jesus started talking to her. She asked a question. She said, where should we worship? The Jews say Jerusalem. Others say on Mount Sinai. And Jesus answered and said, they that worship God must worship in spirit and in truth. We charismatics have a tendency to think that just means singing or worshiping in tongues. Because uh, many times, many other places in the scripture where it talks about the spirit of God it talks about him giving us utterance in an unknown language, unknown to us, known to God certainly. And so a lot of times people get the idea that spiritual worship is just some form of singing unto him or whatever. But it's talking about the way we live. Thank you for your enthusiastic response. Everybody likes that, don't they? It's talking about presenting our bodies a sacrifice, a living sacrifice, which is acceptable unto God. That's what spiritual worship is. Keeping our flesh under. Verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. That word prove there comes from a root word that means to determine by experience. In other words, it's saying, first and foremost, verse 2, saying God doesn't want us to be like the world. There should be a marked and noticeable difference between the church and the world. And that marked and discernible difference is brought about by thinking differently than the world thinks. He's literally saying, don't think like the world. Don't think like the world. Now, what will that bring to pass? What will that result in? It will result in you determining by experience, or we might just shorten that and say, experiencing in your life the victory that God has for you and that Jesus purchased. Folks, you need to understand something. Receiving everything that God wants you to have, receiving everything that Jesus bought and paid for with his own precious blood comes about by right thinking. If you don't think right, you won't believe right. Victory in life comes about by right thinking. Now notice verse 3, he goes on. For I say through the grace given unto me, to every man that is among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Notice a couple of things he's saying there. He's saying that God is concerned about what we think. The Holy Spirit is impressing Paul to tell us these things. So these are the words of the Holy Spirit to us through the Apostle Paul. And it's saying very specifically, God cares about what you think. Now, I don't mean that in the way that is commonly used. God doesn't care what our opinion is. That's not what I mean by caring about what we think. 
He cares about you thinking right. Notice it's the renewing of the mind, not the removing of the mind. And notice what he said. He said, God has given us the capability, the potential to receive anything and everything that Jesus purchased for us by right thinking. And notice he goes on to say, well, I should point this out too. Notice the words of himself in the middle of the verse there. Those are italicized. That means the translators added that. And anytime they add something, they're trying to help us with our understanding. And what they put in there is certainly accurate. But it's limiting. See, God doesn't want you to think more highly of yourself than you ought to think. That's true enough. But he didn't want you to think about anything more highly than you ought to think. Now, when, he, when we talk about this or get to verses like this, so many of the people that uh, uh, have a religious background, denominational background in the church or whatever, the first thought that will come to you is, yeah, you've got to humble yourself. You've got to be meek and lowly. You've got to be worth nothing in your own eyes or in your own estimation. But, folks, the Bible calls that high thinking. See, to think soberly. The word soberly comes from a root word. Every time the word sober is used in the New Testament, it comes from a root word that means not moved by emotion. And so often our feelings dictate our thoughts. Emotions rarely lead us to thinking right when it comes to the things of God. So he's saying think soberly. Think not moved by emotion but think soberly according as God has dealt to every man the measure of faith. Now that phrase is, in, is important. He's given to every man uh, uh, the measure of faith. The reason that that's important is because we know that the Bible defines faith as believing in the heart and saying with the mouth. Believing with the heart and confessing with the mouth. That's how we got saved. That's how we operated in faith to receive Jesus. And nobody can get saved without doing that. You've got to believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead and confess him as your Lord, and then you become saved. So you confess Jesus as your Lord before he becomes your Lord. But if you don't confess him as your Lord, he can't be your Lord because it's governed by your words. Governed by your words. So when the Bible talks about high thinking, it's talking about any kind of thinking, whether it's thinking about ourselves or thinking about other things or other people or other situations. Anything that thinks, anything that influences you to cause or causes you to think contrary to the word is what the Bible identifies as high thinking. See, the world, the church world by and large, says that the attitude that you can do it, you have the strength available. You can take hold of what God provided for you. Most people will say that's arrogance. But the Bible calls that humility. Because if we're saying it not because we see ourselves as big and strong and mighty and bigger than the devil and all whatever. But if we're saying it because that's what God's word says about us and it, that's exactly what God's word says about us. Then we've humbled ourselves. We've set aside our own emotions, our own feelings about what we see or think or feel or whatever. And we've accepted the truth of the word to govern us. That's what the Bible calls humility. That's what the Bible calls meekness. Meekness just means teachableness. 
Well, if we're willing to change our thinking from the way the world operates and think according to what the Bible says about us, the Bible says that that's being humble. So all the people that are calling us arrogant because we're saying we can do what the Bible says we can do just don't know and don't recognize humility. Bible humility. And so when it's talking about God has dealt to every man the measure of faith, it's saying think by faith. It's saying your right thinking should be governed by faith. Well, faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word. So your thought life should be, must be, if you're going to walk in victory, your thought life must be dictated by you believing the word of God and confessing it. Believing it's not just is not enough. You got to say it too. It's not faith unless it's spoken. Now let me compare this with some other scriptures. Turn with me over to James chapter one. If this is truth, then the Holy Ghost should confirm it, shouldn't he? Well, the fact is, we've got a wealth of evidence that this is the way that it's supposed to work and it's the way God wants it to work. It's the way he destined for it to work and it's the way that can work for you. James chapter 1, verse 21, the translators just bent over backwards to make this undiscernible. Wherefore, lay apart all filthiness and superfluity of naughtiness. That's a mouthful, isn't it? It just means lay aside things that aren't of God. Lay aside the things of the world and receive with meekness. Here's that word teachable again. And receive with meekness the engrafted word. Notice he's talking about the engrafted word. He's not talking about just the written word. He doesn't say receive with meekness the written word. He's talking about making the word a part of you. He's talking about getting the truth of the word off the page and into your spirit. The real you. So he says, lay aside the things of the world and receive with meekness the engrafted word, which is able to save your souls. Now, the sacrifice, Romans 12, 1, verse 2, and be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can experience, experience the victory in life that Jesus in these verses that we're looking at. Thank God we can change circumstances. Thank God we can speak to the mountain and the mountain will move. Thank God for that. But do we use our faith on us as much as we try to use it on something else? The Bible talks more about you using your faith on you than it does anything else. And the using your faith on you is always in context. And that context is to change or alter your thinking to line up with what God's word says. You use your words to change your thinking. But be ye doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And then he goes on and starts telling us about what uh, um, it, the difference between doing the word and just being a hearer. Now turn with me over to 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Here's another proof. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, let's start in verse 3. It says, For though we walk, walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. 
For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Now he's talking about spiritual weapons that produce results. Spiritual weapons that produce results. Now what spiritual weapons are we given to pull down strongholds? A lot of times, folks, people just have the idea that the weapons that we have, the weapons that are available to us, are to be used in prayer. Pray against the devil. Pray against whatever the circumstance is that's coming against you. Pray, 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 pray. But notice what pulls down the strongholds. It's not prayer. You pull down strongholds. You use these weapons that are mighty through God to affect or to effectively Break down the the fortresses that are developed and created in our minds through years and years and years of wrong thinking. So how are we going to pull down those strongholds? Casting down imaginations. The word imaginations means reasonings, suppositions, and thoughts. By changing your thinking. You pull down the devil's strongholds, whatever places he's built up in our lives whatever tradition we've accepted, whatever thoughts or opinions or whatever else we might name or identify that have created situations, strongholds, fortresses, barriers to us receiving and walking in everything God has for us. The Bible says you pull those down not by praying. You pull those down by thinking right. You pull those down by casting down the imaginations, the conflicting ideas and reasonings and suppositions and thoughts. Anything that contradicts what the Bible says about us, those are the things that we pull down by thinking right, by learning to think right, by determining to think right, by deciding we're going to think right. And again, by thinking right, I just simply mean think what the Bible says about you and about your situation. And whatever you're going through in life. Casting down imaginations. And every high thing. Here's this phrase again. This high thing. Again high things are not some wicked spirits in the heavenlies. That we're supposed to attack in prayer. The high things are the the thoughts. The wrong thoughts that have gotten into our mind. That we've accepted. And may be acted on for years and years and years of our lives. That operate completely contrary to what the Bible says. You remember in Numbers chapter 13. Twelve spies go into the promised land. Ten of them come back with an evil report. What did they do? They came back and they said, the people that live in this land, the promised land, what God said was the promised land for us. These people have walls around their cities and they have mighty armies and they're stronger than us and so we can't do it. That was a high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. Caleb and Joshua said, we saw the same walls you did. We saw the same armies that you saw. We saw the same defenses of our enemies that you witnessed. But we can do it. We can do it. Part of that story, we don't talk about it much, but part of that story is the majority of the congregation wanted to stone Caleb and Joshua. And it's interesting to me how religious thinking folks Folks that are steeped in religion, they always want to kill the people that say we can do it. Because they're sure not going to do it. And they don't want anybody around that might bring condemnation on them by daring to suggest that they can do it. 
It's always been that way, folks. It'll always be that way. Caleb and Joshua didn't have more of God than the others, than the ten spies. Caleb and Joshua didn't know God better than the ten spies did. Caleb and Joshua didn't have some special anointing that the others didn't have or some power inherent in them that was not available to the others. They just said God said it so we can do it. We saw the same circumstances. Folks, the circumstances did not keep Israel out of the promised land. The walls around the city of Jericho did not keep them out of the promised land. The giants in the land, the Amalekites, the Anakins and Hittites and Canaanites and whoever else was there on on the list, none of those people or the strength of their armies or their weaponry or anything else kept Israel out of the promised land. The thing that kept Israel out of the promised land, the thing that denied everything that God had made available to them by bringing them to this wonderful land that flowed with milk and honey. The thing that kept them out was wrong thinking. Wrong thinking. And because they thought wrong, they spoke wrong. And God said, I'll deal with you according to how you've spoken in my ears. In other words, what you say is what you'll have. Folks, that's a principle that never changes. And it always works. So the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty. Thank God they're mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. In other words, he's just saying, think what the word says about what Jesus did for you. Think what the word says about who you are in him. Think what the word says about what power is available to you. Think what the word says and act accordingly. That's how you break down the devil's strongholds. Now, you know as well as I do that one of the, well, I'll tell you what, why don't you turn with me? Second Corinthians chapter four. Let me point something out that the Holy Ghost reveals to us. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, talking about Jesus and what he did. Um, Maybe we ought to back up to verse 3. But if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. In whom, talking about the lost, in whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ, who is the image of God, should shine in unto them. Now, notice how the devil operates. It's saying that the devil blinds our minds. Now, he's talking specifically about the lost, the unsaved there. But you know as well as I do that just because you get saved, your thinking doesn't get right. You don't start automatically thinking right about God or your circumstances or your physical conditions or anything else. Those are things, that's why the Bible says we as Christians need to renew our minds. Because just because we've entered into the family of God through salvation, it doesn't mean we're thinking right all of a sudden. It doesn't mean we're speaking right. It doesn't mean we're believing right. We have to believe right to come into the family of God. We have to change our thinking that far. But that's all the salvation does for us. It gets us in the family of God, and from there on, it's a matter of obeying what God said to renew our minds to the truth. So here in 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, it's telling us the way that the devil operates is he operates to blind people's minds, to keep them from seeing things as they really are. To keep believers 
from seeing things as they really are. I want you to think about that phrase. What that means. Things really are a certain way. And God's word reveals how things really are. But God doesn't force you to think it. God doesn't force you to accept it. And he certainly doesn't force you to believe it. But if you want to determine by experience, if you want to experience the victory of God in your life, we're going to have to change our thinking. We're going to have to change our thinking. Turn with me to the Old Testament, Joshua chapter 1. Joshua chapter 1. This book of the law, that's all they had. The word of God was the five books of Moses. But it doesn't just work for the first five books of the Bible. It works for everything that the Bible tells us. So let me change that. And here's why. Instead of, let's saying, instead of calling it the book of the law, let's personalize this and call it the word of God. Thank God we've got more than just the law. This book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. But thou shalt meditate therein day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that is written therein. For then thou shalt make thy way prosperous, and then thou shalt have good success. Now let me take that bottom phrase, the last phrase of the verse. Then thou shalt make thy way prosperous and have good success. Let's just identify that as the victory that God provided for us by sending Jesus to the earth. The victory that God provided for us. Now, folks, in a lot of people's minds, that just means accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior. And those are thoughts that should be cast down. Those are thoughts that should be taken captive. Those are thoughts that should ring alarm bells on the inside of us. And every time they try to rise up, we refuse to let them stay in our minds. And we certainly refuse to speak them out of our mouths. So he says, this book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Notice the word has something to do with your mouth. Where he says, not depart out of your mouth. The word shall not depart out of your mouth. How do you keep something from departing uh, out of your mouth? Once you say whatever it is you're going to say, it's gone. So how do you keep from letting them depart out of your mouth? You got to keep saying them. That's literally what this means. It means don't ever stop saying the word. Don't ever stop saying the word. Now, what makes us stop saying the word? We see circumstances that don't line up with what the Bible says is ours. The Bible says we were healed by the stripes of Jesus, but sickness attacks our bodies. Well, that sickness that attacks our bodies is just as big an obstacle or a problem as the ten spies thought the walls of Jericho were. But what are we going to do? Well, if we're going to think like the world, we're going to say, well, that healing stuff must not be for everybody because here it is. I'm being attacked with sickness and disease. And what happens? We're overcome with sickness and disease. But because the Bible does say Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses and with his stripes we were healed. We have every right to think in line with what God's word says about us. We have every right, and it's the will of God that we do so, to change our thinking and say, well, it doesn't look like it, and the doctor says it's not the case in my body at this moment. But Jesus said that Jesus took our infirmities, or God's Word says that Jesus took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses, and with his stripes were healed.
That's simply Caleb and Joshua saying, we can do it. This obstacle won't keep us out. God said we could do it, we can do it. So where it says this book of the law or this word of God shall not depart out of our mouths, that means no matter what happens, no matter whether once we start speaking the word things look like they're better or whether they look like they're worse, we're commanded by God. This is God telling Joshua, speaking first person directly to Joshua. He's saying don't ever stop speaking the word. Don't ever stop speaking the word. But notice he goes on to say, This book of the law shall not depart out of your mouth, but thou shalt meditate therein day and night. I'm going to show you a little something here. This word meditate, if you pull it up in Strong's Concordance, this word is translated 24 different verses, 24 different verses in the Old Testament. Let me give you what some of these are are, uh, translated as. The word meditate in Joshua 1 verse 8 is translated utter in Job chapter 27 verse 4. In Psalm 2... And verse 1, it's translated imagine. In Psalm 35, verse 28, it's translated speak. In, verse, in chapter 37 of Psalms, verse 30, it's cha- translated speaketh. In Psalm 38, verse 12, it's translated imagine. In Psalm 71, verse 24, it's translated talk. In Psalm 115, verse 7, it's, it's translated speak. And on and on and on. We won't take any more time to look up the others. But to speak, it means to say something. In Isaiah, it's translated mutter. M-U-T-T-E-R. Mutter. Which just means to speak to yourself. To say something to yourself again and again and again. God's trying to get us to speak his word. He's trying to get us to talk in line with what the Bible says. Why? Because talking about what the Bible says, speaking God's word to yourself, you don't have to say it to anybody else, but speaking God's word to yourself will change you to whatever degree that scripture that you're talking, that you're saying, that you're speaking is talking about you. For example, if we talk about righteousness, it's easy for us to recognize when we need to talk about healing. It's easy for us to recognize when we need to talk about provision. My God shall supply all of my needs according to his riches and glory. Thank God that verse is there for when we're facing times where we don't have enough to get by. But we need to take the same, or attach the same importance to saying things about ourselves and who we are in Christ that we do about the things that we want to possess or take hold of in the physical realm. This is an area that I used to have a lot of trouble because the idea of righteousness had been well, I should say the idea of unrighteousness had been so deeply ingrained in me through the religious training and Sunday school classes and all that kind of stuff I had in the denominational church. The scriptures we knew were our righteousness is as filthy rags. Well, if it's as filthy rags, what good is it? It's worth nothing. And we knew that verse in the scripture where it talked about I'm a worm of the dust. I remember a Sunday school class being taught on being a worm in the dust. And it was taught from the standpoint of we need to be humble before God. And their thinking, their understanding, the way they had things figured out or reasoned out, was that the less you thought of yourself, then the better you are in the kingdom of God. 
Well, folks, people that think nothing of themselves are worthless in the kingdom of God. Thank God they're saved. And when Jesus comes, he'll gladly receive them unto himself. But nobody's ever done anything by thinking or speaking or confessing that they are unrighteous and like a worm in the dust. That's what the ten spies were doing. And that thinking kept them out of the promised land. So I learned that I'm going to have to start thinking about righteousness. And man, the devil had, he beat me silly over this thing. Because he'd always bring up things that I know that I'd done wrong, things that I felt guilty about. I'd ask God to forgive me, but still there they were. The feelings of them were still there. But I found that the more I started saying that I'm the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, the more I started believing it. The more I started thinking in line with it. I found out, just by personal experience, I found out that my thoughts followed my words and not the other way around. Now, the devil wants to work the other way around. The world operates, the world that we're not supposed to be conformed to. Their thoughts govern their words. They see something, they feel something, they think something, and so they speak it. But that's not what walking by faith is. Walking by faith is walking by the unseen, not the seen. It's choosing to think what God's word says. And the way you get to thinking what God's word says is you begin to speak what God's word says. Now, the first time I started, uh, or the first times, not just once, but in the beginning, when I started confessing that I was the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus, there was all kinds of trouble that the devil would give me over that. Oh, Mr. Righteous, what about this? Oh, Mr. Righteous, what about that? And he was dead right. I did those things. I felt guilty about those things. I'd already asked God to forgive me of those things. But they were still there in my mind. But I learned if I answered it by saying, but the word says. God made Jesus to be sin for me. That I might be made the righteous of God in him. The more I said that, the more I answered the word to the wrong thoughts, stirred by emotions, feelings, feelings of guilt, sadness, whatever, the more I began to speak what the word says, the more and more and more it began to become a part of my heart. The devil knows not to come anywhere close to me when I'm talking about the righteousness of God. And that's certainly not the way it started. But the word became engrafted in my spirit just like it does for any and all of us when we act on it but remember what James said he said receive with meekness lay aside all the other stuff lay aside your thoughts and your feelings about the other stuff the things of the world and what you've done wrong and how you've missed it lay all that aside and receive with meekness be teachable let God show you and teach you what's right not just what the church says in my case what, the, what I grew up here in the church say but receive with meekness the engrafted word. Let the word of God become a part of your heart. Joshua was told by God that that comes by meditating, by speaking the word over and over and over. So receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save your souls, but be doers. Be doers. 
The doer of the word is the one that accepts the word of God to be true, so he says it to be true. He speaks it as truth. He doesn't speak it as truth because he feels like it's true. He speaks it to be true because God's word is true. God's word says what the, what, whatever we're confessing, in my case, righteousness. God's word said I was righteous, so what? no matter what I feel about it, if God's word is true, I'm righteous. God's word cannot lie. That means God's word can't lie about you. That means it has to be true that you're healed by the stripes of Jesus. That means it has to be true that God will meet all your needs according to his riches and glory by Christ. That means it has to be true that you're made in the image and nature of God. It means it has to be true that you've been made righteous by the blood of Jesus. Nothing you feel, nothing you think, nothing the devil ever speaks in your ear, nothing can change that truth. It's true because God says it's true. It's true because he's made it true. He's finished the plan of redemption through the work of Jesus, his death, burial, and resurrection. It has to be true no matter whether it looks like it's true or not. It has to be true because God said it's true, whether it feels like it or not. It has to be true. Now, you know as well as I do that this is going to sound like just insanity to the world. People that would hear teaching like this and not have any background in it or not, uh, or not be willing to, to hear what the Word says about it are going to think those people are crazy. Those people are just nuts. Well, in reality, those people are the ones that determine by experience the victory that God has provided. And notice that God told Joshua, this is the principle that will make your way prosperous and provide good success. This is the principle. This is the pathway. This is the way whereby you can walk in the truth or the fulfillment of everything Jesus did for you. God wants us to think right. This book of the law, this word of God shall not depart out of your mouth. Never stop speaking the word. Never stop speaking the word about your situation. Never stop speaking the word about your finances. Never stop speaking the word about your physical healing or health. Never stop speaking the word about who you are in Christ. Never stop speaking the word about anything and everything in your life. Speak the word only. But thou shalt meditate therein, say it to yourself again and again, day and night, that thou mayest observe to do according to all that's written. Now, what does that mean? To the Old Testament, people under the law of Moses, it meant so that you could keep the commandments. But that's not what it means for us because we're not under the law. So where it says we may observe to do, what does God expect us to do? What is it to be a doer of the word? It's to walk by faith. Faith is the only thing the Bible says pleases God. Faith is the only thing the Bible says without it you can't please God. And remember what faith is. Faith is believing in your heart based on what God's word says and speaking with your mouth. Folks, this is not rocket science. This is not complicated. Now, that doesn't mean it's easy to do. But it's an eternal principle that works every time. God's telling Joshua, here's how you make your way prosperous. Here's how you have victory. How's it, what victory does he need? Well, he's got enemies that he's about to fight, about to go against. He's got a city of Jericho that's got a wall around it that's bigger than anything that's ever been known to man. 
He kind of needs to to have a victory here. He kind of needs to win. And God says, this is the way you win. This is the way you gain victory. Now, think about how absurd that is, folks. Why doesn't God just speak and the wall fall? Why doesn't God just throw a lightning bolt from heaven and destroy the wall in the city at the same time? See, that's the way we want it to work. We want there to be some blinding flash of light. And all of a sudden, our enemies are laying dead on the ground. But God's telling Joshua, here's how you'll have victory to win the battles that I've told you are already won. You're going to have to think according to the word. You're going to have to speak according to the word. Do you realize the place of importance that God has attached to his word? Psalm, um, what is it, 138, verse 2, something like that. I'm not sure if that's the right reference or not, but it says, God has exalted his name or exalted his word above his name. In other words, it's not about his power. It's about the use, the proper use of his word. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1, verse 16. He said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ for it. The gospel, the good news of what Jesus did, the word of God that reveals it to us. It is the power of God into salvation. It doesn't even talk about God's mighty arm of salvation there. It simply says the word is the power of God to anything and everything you need. And the word salvation that's used there that he chooses to use by the inspiration of the Holy Ghost means a lot more than just forgiveness of sins. It means rescue. It means deliverance. It means to save. It means to set free. It means anything and everything you'll ever need from God. And he said you access it by the word. By the word. Why did God set his word in such a place of importance? Because the word's the only thing that changes us. So God tells Joshua, you want to make your way prosperous? Well, for Joshua to make his way prosperous and for Joshua to have good success, that means he's going to have to win a lot of battles. So God says, here's how you do it. You say my word to yourself continuously. He tells him to meditate. And again, that word meditate is translated speak and utter and talk and, what, and a number of other things too. It's translated imagine in several places as we saw. He said, if you want to win your battles, if you want to defeat the defenses of your enemy, you want to overcome those walls of Jericho that look so big to your fathers that in the previous generation, speak the word. He didn't say pray some special prayer. He didn't say ask for some special thing from God. Now, God, don't get me wrong, God did a lot of marvelous things for them in the middle of their battles. You remember in the wilderness, they fought against one army, one enemy, and the Bible talks about hail coming down that was as big as boulders and the thousands of people in the enemy armies that were killed through those things or by those things. There's all kinds of miraculous and spectacular things that happened, but God still required of Joshua, just like he did of Moses. He required them to put the word first. Well, if, we, if he required that 
of them to win their battles, what do you think he expects of us? If we're going to win our battles, it's going to have to be because we put the word in practice. It's going to be because we speak God's word and never stop speaking God's word. It's the only principle for success and victory that the Bible gives you. It doesn't say because you're a child of God, everything's just going to work out. It doesn't say whatever I really want for you, that's the way it's going to go. And so the things you don't have are because I don't want you to have them. That's not what the word says. The word says Jesus has already provided for us. He's, it says we've already been blessed with all spiritual blessings in heavenly places. And so you can take receipt of those things or be victorious in those areas according to your willingness to do the word, which means believe it with the heart and say it with the mouth. It's up to you. God spent a lot of time in the Old Testament saying, if you choose not to speak the word, if you choose not to obey the word, for them, obey, obeying, uh, obedience, I'll get it out in a minute. For them, obedience was keeping the commandments. For us, obedience is walking by faith. For us, obedience is to think what the word says about us and about our situations and not what we see and feel. That's obedience for us. The just shall live by faith. Well, how do you live by faith? By saying what God's word says. No matter what it looks like, no matter what face of circumstance is appearing before you, you say what God's word says. You say you're healed in the face of sickness. You say you're, you say you're provided for and prosperous when you don't have anything to show for, when you're in the middle of lack. And it's the only way God says that it will work. Now, I know there's a lot of people out there that are trying to do things their own way. Well, I just believe, Pastor Mike, if God wants to be healed, then he'll do it some way and somehow. And I have to answer every time, well, he won't. See, it's real easy to want to have it some other way except what God said. But this is the only way the Bible tells us that you can be sure of having what God has provided by saying what his word says. And the Bible says it's the key to victory. You remember what John wrote to the church? He said, this is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. Again, what is faith? Believing the word and saying it with your mouth. Believing with your heart, irrespective of circumstances and the conditions around us. Believing what God said was true and therefore saying it. Paul said, we had the same spirit of faith as God himself. We believe and therefore speak. It's the only guaranteed method for victory. And if we'll hold fast to it, it'll work every time. Every time. God doesn't even have to come through for us. He's already come through for us. And this is how we take possession of it. Let me show you one other scripture. It's in Proverbs chapter 15. Verse 28, it says, The heart of the righteous studies to answer. This word studieth is the word meditate in Joshua 1.8. The heart of the righteous studies to answer. 
but the mouth of the wicked poureth out evil things. To meditate in the word, to meditate in the truth of what God has provided for us, is a research project. It's left to us to find out what God's word says that applies or pertains to whatever situation you're in. Now, you may be in a different situation than I am. We're both Christians. We're both walking in this Christian life or walking through this world as Christians and as believers. But that may mean different things for different people. I may be standing against the work of the devil in one area. You may be standing against his work in another area. You may be facing poverty. I may be facing sickness. But the principle is always the same. And that is the heart of the righteous. The heart of the righteous. The children of God. Those are the ones that are righteous. Right? The children of God study to answer. They find out what God's word says. So that they're equipped to use it. Whenever they need to. But the mouth of the fool pours out evil words. Notice the difference. This goes back to what Paul said in Romans chapter 12. Be not conformed to the world. This shows you the difference between the righteous and the unrighteous. Or at least what the difference is supposed to be. The righteous study to answer. They're searching the word so that they have an answer to every situation. They study the word to find out what did God say about this, this thing that's attacking me or this thing that's upcoming, so that they know what to speak instead of just being influenced by their emotions or by fear or whatever else and just start blabbing all kinds of stuff. It means the righteous pick and choose their words carefully. And why wouldn't they? When the word, God's word spoken out of our mouths is the key to victory. The only key to victory, the only way to victory, the only path to victory that the Bible tells us about. Then why wouldn't we make the word of God of supreme importance in our lives? We should. So what does the Bible require? What does God require of his children? To change their thinking. To think right by speaking right. What you say will determine what you think. Don't let it be the other way around. Don't let your thoughts influence your speech. Dictate your thoughts by your speech. Dictate your thoughts. Determine what you will think by what you say. See, whenever we speak God's word... It plants a little bit more seed. That seed goes a little bit deeper and deeper and deeper. Day by day by day. Until we get to the place where what we used to tremble at saying. Now we're filled with confidence because we know that it's the word. Folks, what we say is everything. It determines everything in our lives. Absolutely everything. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word. We thank you for revealing to us the victory, the means of obtaining the victory that Jesus purchased for us.
We thank you, Father, that we are the healed of God. We declare that we are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We declare that health is ours, provision is ours. We always have enough, enough for ourselves and enough to help others because Jesus paid the price for poverty and lack. We thank you, Father, that we are exactly who you said we have become. We thank you that we are exactly what the Bible declares us to be. So we choose to speak and to say we are who the Bible says we are. We thank you, Father, that as that word takes root in our hearts, it will bring us into every area, every aspect of the victory that Jesus bought and purchased with his own blood. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you for being with us.